Hello, welcome back to Spoiler Alert, a weekly talk radio show for movie and television lovers. As always, please be aware of spoilers, otherwise you might find out that the body of a young man was found floating in the pool of her mansion with two shots in his back and one in his stomach. Yes, this week we're going back to a time where the average house was $8,400, rock music was hitting the airwaves, and the middle class really started benefiting. It's going to be the 50s, y'all. Woo! But I cannot do it alone. I am joined by Jeremy Legree. I didn't even write a thing for this. I'm joined by Jeremy Legree and Sonia Stanger. How outside of my... Who are we? Who am I? Who am I? I just wanted to get right to it. Yeah, we're diving. Let's do it. Diving. I could have said the the cross dresser musician of my dreams, Jeremy Legui, and the uh, uh, faded silent star, Sonia Stanger. Mm. That's what I'll say. <laughs> I'm nodding. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's not great for radio. Yeah, I will say that. I'll just play some frantic <laughs> piano in the background. Yeah. <laughs> Use a matchstick for your mustache or whatever. <laughs> um, I'd I'd buy that look. Yeah, that's all it takes. You guys, yeah. What is your relationship to nineteen fifties movies? Do you watch them often? Have you seen them a lot? Where are we Where are we at? Well, in reviewing for this week, I realized that I have not seen a lot of movies from the nineteen fifties. Which, like, I guess I could have guessed, but I feel like I've seen a fair few from the 60s and quite a few from the 40s, so I don't know what happened. But for me, it's mostly, like, romantic comedies. Uh, what's his name? Hitchcock movies. <laughs> I just forgot Alfred Hitchcock's uh, name. So name? probably I'm not allowed to be on a movie podcast anymore. Um, anyway, it's those, a couple musicals, and Audrey Hepburn movies, to be honest, is where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I also, like, I would agree with, like, uh, you know, if 60s was a time of, like, all of these crazy, crazy movies, uh, the 50s is a time of, like, several really good but extremely prominent movies, mm. and then a bunch of others that you're like, that was made then, really? Mm. Like, like, you, yeah. like, you're just like, oh, I guess, I guess that's how time works. Um, but it was in color, so I just made an assumption, you know, like that, that sort of transition-y phase. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, to answer, I'm, to answer your actual you question, Sean. Oh, yeah. Sorry, uh, no, uh, uh, I don't, I, no, it's fine. I found I don't watch a ton of these movies. Hmm. I don't know. They're just not in the rotation the way others are. Um, I have some favorites, of course, but, uh, yeah, they're just not, like, as in the the cycle as even some older ones are mm. for some reason yeah it is pretty weird to a, just be like oh this was 70 point, years ago like yeah. it's weird <laughs> to put that in perspective it is like because so for me things like you know cartoon like disney cartoons like cinderella or mm. like sleeping beauty or like lady and the tramp these are from the 50s these were made 70 years ago but you know, that explains the portrayal of the Siamese cats. <laughs> to be oh, that does. Yeah, that, that, uh... <laughs> I shouldn't even laugh, but. <laughs> um, true. But, you know, like Sleeping Beauty. And mm. honestly, I when I, I would just assume it was made in the 80s. Yeah. Maybe. 
I mean, uh, Cinderella, I feel like Cinderella has more old vibes. Sleeping Beauty has some too, but um, yeah, interesting. Yeah. I I think it was like, well, and I've recently been watching quite a few of these older Disney movies. Some would say on a loop. Um, <laughs> but uh, there are like very clear advancements in what they were doing to animate things, uh, which I think is cool. And I'm kind of a nerd who is interested in those things. But um, I do know that like in between Cinderella and Peter Pan, so that's three years, they had like invented five new cameras to mm. like make more stuff. So, um, well, that's how they it, made them fly. It is kind of crazy. That's true. That is true. <laughs> um, okay. Well, animation aside, since I actually didn't even watch any animation this week, but yeah, what are some of the best? 50s movies mm. in your guys's humble opinions well i watched one this week that i feel like gets talked about a lot and i had never seen and it was one of those things that people would be like you've never seen that um which is 1950s all about eve um written mm. and directed by joseph makowitz um starring betty davis and ann baxter um it's about wait is this the bank this is, is the man. That's, that's who it's about. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't wow. know anything about him. Yeah. But... I, I didn't know he was a director. Or wait, yeah. you just said written by. Him. Yeah, and uh, I think he also directed yeah. it. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. So basically, mm-hmm. Betty Davis is this aging theater star, theatrical star, um, Margot Channing, which is such a good character name. You guys know I love a good character name, and like, it's I don't a good know, one. it really works. And then Eve comes into the picture. She shows up. She's basically been to every single performance of this show that Margot Channing is in. And one day, Margot Channing's um, best friend, like, invites her to her dressing room. And basically, Eve is, well, now I'm telling, now I'm telling things all out of order. But she basically is obsessed with Margot and wants to be her and sort of wants to replace her. Um, But it's. Sort of all about, you know, the the difficulties of being a woman uh, in show business and aging and sort of the misogyny of and uh, the intersections of misogyny and ageism. And it's an incredible performance by Betty Davis. And Anne Baxter is also really great as Eve. Um, it's said to be one of the um, betchiest, I'll say, movies of all time (laughs) is what people say um it's very camp the writing is really good but something that i picked up on and then googled and then there's a whole bunch of scholarship on it is the homoerotic undertones between eve and margo um and Mm -hmm. it's really interesting um, that handmaiden lady Yes. Oh, yes. Birdie. Is it not with her? Her assistant. Yeah. Like, right away, I was like, okay, that's a lesbian. (laughs) I was like, what's going on here? Yeah. (laughs) As a queer woman, I was like, I see you. Um, Yeah. And and Margot has this kind of like, I don't know, aloof relationship to the, the main man in her life. But it was really interesting. I was doing some reading about it. And they were talking about how this is very much a Cold War era movie and how this kind of falls into the age of the Lavender Scare, which people may not be as familiar with. People might be familiar with the Red Scare and McCarthyism, where, you know, um, 
communists and suspected communists were quote-unquote rooted out of Hollywood, and it was like this whole witch hunt. But part of that was also concerns about homosexuality, um, queerness, and uh, there was this whole idea that, you know, queer people were communist sympathizers, and so they were also persecuted, and there was this whole um, culture of repression. But so it's really interesting to kind of look at the movie through that lens where Eve um, is sort of this like villainous lesbian who manages to sort of like impersonate and hide behind normative fe- femininity um, and sort of these these which like underlying concerns, which is lesbianism classic. <laughs> um, and then ultimately the movie kind of upholds this like patriarchal hetero marriage story because Margot marries the main man in her life and Eve as the evil villain is kind of like pushed aside. So anyway, all of that to say, it's a it's a very interesting movie. Um, it's it's both fun and there's lots to think about. So yeah, all about Eve. It Have is you guys such seen it? a good movie. Yeah, there's a line where they're having a party and uh, Margot is like getting mm-hmm. drunk and somebody says something that sets her off. And she is not canceling the party. She just is like, grabs a bottle of booze and she's like, put on your seatbelts. And I was just like, she is she so says, chaotic. She says, strap in. It's going to be a bumpy night. Yeah, literally. She's like, I'm not calling off the party. <laughs> I'm just going to make everyone extremely uncomfortable all night. And this yeah. is my vibe. <laughs> and I love that. <laughs> and apparently Betty Davis was an absolute nightmare to work with. So she really brought mm-hmm. some of that to the role. Well, it's she, um, as one should. She's using the method. That's what you do. When she's you're using a star, the method. Guys. She also has yeah. one of the most interesting faces of anyone, I would say. Yeah, she I does. think so. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I. On that note, I will jump in and say I, I think that there was a really interesting time where they were going for like easily recognizable and then like style. Right? Like, people with very sharp figures who, like, look like no other of the actors they currently have. Mm. And, uh, that's... I think Betty Davis is the queen of that. Yeah. Dare I say the king? <laughs> She's king all queen. Maybe. Um, um, Jeremy? Uh, uh, well, now for something, again, very closely related. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. I... Going going after something is always fun because it's like a totally different. But with this time thing, it uh every like everything lines up. All my movies are from the same year almost. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's happening. Um, anyway, uh, I'm gonna sneak in a movie from the sixty the 1960s. <gasps> I did it on purpose. Don't judge me. It's fine. Um, but I would very much like to talk about the work of Akira Akira Kurosawa. I can't say it. Uh, specifically Seven Samurai and Yojimbo. Mm. Both of which Jeremy, this is I all love going to be watching because yeah. it's the wrong decade. So. Thank well, you. Well, Seven Thank Samurai yeah, was just, the 50s. Just put those syllables together. Seven uh-huh. Samurai was the 50s, but yes, it was, Yojimbo yeah. was not. So you can't talk about that. I know. I wanted, to, I, I, want, I wanted to talk about them together. So this is what I chose to do. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, um, I we'll love watching it. these movies. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. You need a gavel for this. That's what we need. A, I don't know. Yeah, I, don't, I don't have anything. I'll just slam like, this. Would, Seven uh, heavy book against a wall. I actually, <laughs> um, but the... <laughs> I just wanted you to throw something and just. Hear I know that you were going to wait but, for me, but I, uh, I didn't, I didn't do the audio. Sorry. Wait, no, I will. We, we do don't that. need I'll to do be destructive. It's... <laughs> <laughs> this got chaotic. There we go. So there we go. Fast. Beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> nice. 
Um, I love these movies so much because they're first and foremost just incredibly cool. Like like all of the the way that all of the samurais act in Yojimbo, of course. Uh, so Yojimbo is is the 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 story of a samurai come to town where there's two warring factions, and he sort of plays both sides and gains money and power by doing that. And then Seven Samurai is an, uh, another old story of Seven Samurai coming to protect a village. Um, these will sound familiar to you because they all get turned into westerns mm. at some point. So uh, Yojimbo becomes Fistful of Dollars and uh, Seven Samurai, the Magnificent Seven. Um, and it always gets me because there is this like really cool factor that I can't describe other than like either a samurai or a cowboy version of a man created by an Italian guy. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just love that thread of like how the two things, which could not be more different are almost identical. And like all of the camera work is similar. Like there's just so much that um, like Italian directors and American directors like took from these works and uh it's so evident when you watch it and i love it so much because it just seems like to look back at it it's almost crazy because you do have these like sword fighters acting like cowboys they're mm. swinging doors like they're like they do the whole saloon fit like it's crazy and it is the best thing ever <laughs> the law <laughs> industry wasn't very popular at this time it's the true. Copy, it makes perfect sense and industry. no sense all at the same time. I, I don't know, because they all work together, too. Like, it was like this, like, development of story and idea. But it to me, it's just incredible how the style just flowed mm. from one to the other so seamlessly. And I don't know who thought that would work, but it did. Like, I don't know who comes up with, you know, oh, we're going to make a spaghetti western. Do you know what we need for that? Samurai. And then that the rest is history. Yeah. It's just crazy. Fusion. It's wild to me. And there and it works. Thank totally you. works. Watch um, it. I guess. Yes. Even though it's not this decade, <laughs> but of course I will watch. Um okay, so I'm watching I watched some Yeah, that one I will watch. Um yeah. this week I watched a film from 1950 called Sunset Boulevard. Mm. Um, mm. And for those who haven't seen it, it's about a struggling screenwriter who gets sort of dragged into the insane world of Norma Desmond, who is a former silent film star. Um, it's directed by Billy Wilder. Uh, he pops up a lot in mm-hmm. sort of the 50s and 60s. Um, and I, like, I had known of this story before, but I did not realize that Norma has sort of been gaslit into thinking that she was still one of the most popular actresses of her time in Hollywood, like as the film was airing. And so it really put this, and she's like in a tender spot, shall we say mentally. And so nobody ever wanted to like put and interrupt her uh, view of the world. And so it just kept getting bigger and bigger lies until eventually she would find out. And obviously insanity ensue um and also so joe is sort of the object of her affections 
but he has zero emotional intelligence. And he, when she is at her <laughs> wits end, um, but and she's at her wits end and holding a gun, he just is like, you got no comeback. You're like, Max writes all these letters yourself. You're Nobody knows about you. And then she's like, oh, and shoots him. And he's surprised by it. That's a <laughs> spoiler, of course. But also, um, he should have such a He should have known. He should have seen that she was, like, everyone is saying he, she's on tenterhooks. Um, but there's so many good scenes in this. There's, like a, like, a very insane card party that she hosts with all of her old former silent stars and they're just sort of this ghoulish silent scarecrow table slowly <laughs> playing cards in this insane huge house um that was like i don't know if this is supposed to be a funny there's some scenes in this that i'm like is this supposed to be hilarious and i think maybe there is a sense of humor about it but everyone's playing it so straight mm. um and that's one of the scenes mm-hmm. um and um and just that she is always sort of baring her teeth and she's clawing her hands. Uh, and she she's just a wild character. And I just really had a great time with this film. Mm-hmm. Oh, and this is also at a time where people were not afraid to slap somebody. Yeah. Which, you know, I watched The Apartment last week and there's a very brutal slap, slap, slap scene. But yeah. in this one, you know. I forgot about that. I appreciate when people can just can just give a slap when they're feeling mad. It's a healthy way to communicate um, for sure. I think it is. Maybe, yeah. I think I I think there is something really fun about Sunset Boulevard in the terms of like reflexivity of dread that is sort of just present. And uh I always I remember the first time watching it just wondering like do these people like like do they like this? Do they like what they do? Like is that what is this like a just a huge letter about like them quitting this industry because of all these different things. Mm. Um, and yeah, the, totally. the bridge scene, I, I love because it's like, they're all real. Pe- like one of them is Buster Keaton. Yeah. They're all like, like actual all these different, old like, silent film stars, which is maybe why it's, it's so just, good. It's Cause they so are crazy. sad, dead silent, but just, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they've never spoken before on film shot. No. And they're not, <laughs> gonna, they're not <laughs> going to start yet. now. Um, but I, I do, I really like this, like, uh, uh, in terms of, of Norma, the like beauty treatment thing, Mm. like where she's like getting ready and they're like these like very extensive ways to like prep her body for the screen and like make sure she's gorgeous. But they, yeah, it's just nuts. It's just crazy. With no one, with no one having the intention of putting her on screen. Yeah. No, never. <laughs> um, and also the actress, uh, Gloria Swanson, was like, she also was a silent film star. She was, she kind of faded out when it became the talkies. And they kind of pulled her out of retirement for this role. Uh, and then afterwards, she was like, all the roles I was getting offered was basically the same. So I just didn't take any more mm. and retired. So it's like. Meta. Kind of an um, it's kind of Swanson's swan song. Yeah. Swanson's swan song. <laughs> Brilliant, Sean. Some of your best work. Thank you so much. Um, okay, in the small time before break, is there any films that are bad from the 50s? Okay, well, uh, I watched one today that fits in with what Jeremy was saying earlier. 
Now, I'm not saying it's bad, but I'm saying I expected something different and I was a bit disappointed. And that is Akira Kurosawa's 1950 Rashomon, which Mm. is on a lot of lists of, like, best films ever. Roger Ebert included it on his Mm -hmm. list of, like, you know, important films. And I guess for me it's that sometimes I need to remember that a film can be, like, important and not necessarily enjoyable. Like, it's not necessarily fun to watch. Because, I mean, it was very effective. Basically... This is one of the first movies ever to sort of have to to use the sort of plot device of different people telling their accounts of the same events, but like different things happening. So like different versions of the same thing. Um, So basically, this is about a man finds a samurai stabbed in on the road and um, it's four different people's accounts of like what occurred to lead up to that happening. a lot of interesting things happening visually. Um, obviously, that like sort of plot device thing was interesting. But yeah, overall, I was just like, I don't know. Am I like, <laughs> it's that thing I get to where I'm like, did I miss something? Am I missing something? Or is it just that like this was important and this was sort of like one of the first Japanese films to come to American attention? I know that was part of it as well. Um, I don't know. Jeremy, any thoughts? I, I like, I like it. I get what you're saying. It is very slow. Mm. Um, I think it's it's sort of the it's the whole like pro you know prominence versus entertainment thing mm. because it is like it it is sort of this pillar of storytelling that led to a whole bunch more and there is a lot of like subtlety and beauty I think in in a lot of what he does but um, I I do remember kind of being bored. Um, yeah, is sure. it only because the uh, the conceit was so original that they were like, "This is like this Rashomon storytelling is still called that," you mm. know? Yeah. So maybe that's what um, blew everyone's maybe? mind. I don't know. Yeah, um, well, you what blew it, my it, mind is it is hearing that co- Roger Ebert was still uh, giving or started giving film critics in the fifties. But anyway, continue. <laughs> well, I don't. Oh, wow. I don't know. Oh, oh, <laughs> Did he? I don't know, uh, but. um but yeah i don't know it is it's 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 hard to it's always hard to approach a thing with the like the future mindset and like look back and uh i think we've kind of talked about this with citizen kane as well and you know like it it becomes a thing in making more things so like it's really Mm. hard to go back because you're just like oh that was the that was it like that was but it was you know incredibly novel and incredibly well done and all these different things. So, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I still enjoy it. You should check it out. Yeah, sure. definitely check it Watch out. It. It's on It's on Canopy yeah. for anyone who has a library card. Um, which all of you should. Which all of you should. Uh, mm-hmm. Reading isn't hard when you... Or fun isn't hard when you have a library card or whatever it is. <laughs> reading um, isn't hard is a false statement. <laughs> it is hard. <laughs> it is kind of hard. Um, <laughs> I mean, okay, I will say, I will say, like... It was it was effective in sort of holding my attention and being like, okay, I do want to know what happened. Like, I am curious to know what happened. Mm-hmm. It was somewhat thrilling. And I was interested in the way that it was interested in, like, truth and self-delusion and, you know, psychology in, in, in a way that I think is was quite mm-hmm. interesting, especially for that time. But, yeah, I don't know. Also... 
the violence against women, you guys, it's just it's just everywhere in classic it's, cinema. It, um, content warning: it's all over. There is sexual violence in this film <laughs> and some real intense misogyny, but yeah, it's that's just I guess to be expected. I don't know. yeah um well speaking of that i looked up a few um a few i took some lists with some listicles Mm. and i looked for a few a few and some just let some of these names wash over you catwoman of the moon Mm -hmm. teenage caveman the robot versus the aztec mummy the viking women and the sea serpent (laughs) uh swamp women and the last one the killer shrews the killer all of these really seem like, <laughs> all of these really seem like women are crazy, right? <laughs> yeah, except teenage caveman, maybe. Not, not to except the, teenage caveman. Not. To, not and to we do not know the gender John, of the robot. No, for a mummy costume, you use it. <laughs> <laughs> the mummy costume is one of the easiest things you have. Everyone has a roll of TP. I don't know that the Aztecs still are token mummification. Well, in this Probably literal not. particular case, the Aztecs made a mummy. <laughs> the one. They're, they were trying new things. I could be um, wrong. Okay. I'm a cultural historian. Well, it's time to throw in a TV dinner and put our feet up. We'll be right back on 91.3 FM CJTR Regina Community Radio, tuned into the community. And we are back on 91.3 FM CJTR Regina Community Radio. We'll be back talking more 1950s films, but first we're going to play a little game lovingly called The Game. It's game time, people! (laughs) For those who don't know, or if you're just tuning in, The Game is where I spend literally five seconds this week looking for a title related to our topic that these two have hopefully not seen. I tell them the title, they tell me what they think it's about, I tell them what it's really about, and we all have a grand time. Sean, Sonia, are you guys ready to play the game? I'm absolutely yes. ready. Oh, man, I hyped them up so much. Uh, this week's title is, of course, The Brothers Karamazov. That title again, The Brothers Karamazov. The Brothers Karamazov. Um, yes, okay, so <laughs> I believe that this is about a pair of brothers, twins, as they are, um, mm-hmm. and when they... they're parents are you know they're not poor but they're like they're middle class and so when they each reach 16 the parents are like we're not buying you guys both a car that's way too stressful we're going to buy you one car and you split it and so then the brothers mm. each they they buy them this old dusty car called the Karamazov it's an old brand and then <laughs> the, and then so the brothers have to deal with the, their Karamazov the scheduling the sort of Trading in and out, uh, you know, like you take Elsa to the dance on Friday, I take Joanne on Saturday. It's a very complicated, but the whole movie is about the, the brothers Karamazov. Amazing. Wow. Wow. Thank you, Sean. Thank you. Okay, so I think the brothers Karamazov is about a pair of Russian brothers. Um... And you know what? Let's just say it's a bit of a ripoff of Some Like It Hot. And they witness a murder. And then they have to dress up as women. (laughs) And But instead of joining a band, they join a pool of secretaries. (laughs) I don't know why. 
Uh, they mm-hmm. move to another city and become secretaries and are in hiding and hijinks ensue. And I'm not going to lie, you guys, this isn't one of my better ones. That's all I got. <laughs> I will say that the secretarial pool doesn't just allow someone to just pop in. It's very complicated. <laughs> they type fast. That's true, yeah. The typing. <laughs> yeah. They can type fast. And the union is tight. Oh, the union is mm. so it's tiny. Crazy. Mm. I wouldn't believe. Mm-hmm. Um, it is amusing that you both kind of like had little tidbits of what this might actually be. <laughs> uh, this is another one of those fortunate cases where I get to read the entire entry on Wikipedia, which I I kind of enjoy just because it does leave a lot to like, there's a lot of sort of like what ifs there, but also the Wikipedia people have not felt it proper to give it enough of the plot. Anyway, maybe they just haven't reached it yet. I don't know. Um, You know, Jeremy, you could always get in there and update things if you like. Yeah. It's a community forum. I'm not, I'm not going to, I mean, that's, (laughs) uh, uh, you're both wrong in, Many ways, shapes, and forms. <laughs> okay, not there were all some of them. themes that you that you were that you were uh, pulling at there. Um, the Brothers Karamazov is a 1958 film made by MGN, based by uh, Dostoevsky's uh, novel of the same name. Uh, I will now read the entire plot okay. uh, on Wikipedia. The story follows Fyodor, the patriarch of the Karamazov family, and his sons. When he tries to decide on an heir, the tensions among the brothers run high, leading to infighting and murder. Mm. Murder. <laughs> murder most foul. That's the whole thing? Murder. That's it. That's it. Uh, it does star Yul Brynner, and what I am assuming is a young William Shatner. Uh, so uh, maybe Nolan worth checking will. out. Maybe not. You'll will. <laughs> uh, Sean and Sonia, thank you guys for playing the game. Thank so you. Up, um, I would just like to cool. note for the record, I'm I'm going to part the kimono for a, a brief second. Um, <laughs> I Sonya, did know no. this was based. I did know this was based on the work of Russian literature, but I didn't know what it was about. Mm-hmm. But please do That's... not come take my English degree away. I just have never been. I I'm not very well versed in the Russians. Well, it's well, called. English literature, not Russian <laughs> literature, okay? So. <laughs> Who knows about Dostoevsky? Not I. Who knows? Um, okay. If we have finished defending the Russian people enough, mm-hmm. we can continue on. Let's move on. I think yeah. so. <laughs> um, okay. What else did you guys watch this week? Um, I, I watched a, a little movie that's... Uh... It, well, it's not great, uh, but it is near and dear to my heart. And uh, once we agreed to do this whole this whole thing, I knew I was going to watch it. Um, it's uh, a little a little title called Godzilla, mm. or to some Gojira, depending on what version you watch and what dub you find. Um, it is kind of crazy that it's almost. Have you guys seen Godzilla, the original? No. No, uh, it's almost like maybe a film noir thing. It's not. It definitely isn't. But it almost could be with a voiceover. Godzilla just has like a trench coat and a, with a little a proper little one. Hat. Yes. Yeah. Um, the best part of it is how blatant Godzilla is just a man in a costume <laughs> that doesn't work so great. <laughs> and I love the special effects and the way that like. It was just like a guy telling another guy to like 
you know, mow down the bridge. And then I can see the conversations of like, I can't bend my arm. Like, I can't do that. Like, I'm just gonna have to walk straight through. And like, we got one shot, just do it. Just go through and do it. And um, it it is super well done. There's a man with an eye patch. It's got all the things that you want. And, <laughs> that is uh, one of the things. It's, That's one of the, it is. the touch points. It is. Um, there's a, there's a, there's a proper version and then there's another version they made where they inserted some English speaking people. And, uh, it's just this kind of like, like first instance of trying to like Americanize something that did really well, uh, which is just gone really poorly. But the original one is just so much fun and it's got all of those like crazy moments that we all make fun of that are super sincere and, it is just people running away from a monster in the best way until they use a, I think it is an oxygen bomb or something to take him down. Oxygen bomb. Uh, yeah. O- sorry. The oxygen destroyer. Mm. I misspoke. Oh, God. Um, and the, yeah. Yeah. What yeah. An embarrassing and then of course, to make. <laughs> and then of, co- of course it led to, you know, dozens of other, of other films. Uh, and, Surprisingly, this line currently ends with Millie Bobby Brown, and I don't think anyone knows how we got there. The true it's oxygen a strange, complicated world we live in. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, but yeah, Sonia. Well, I already talked about the two movies I watched this week. I uh, was a little premature, if you will. Oh, but don't be embarrassed. One... Happens to all of us. <laughs> Another one uh, from the 50s that I do love, um, I alluded to it earlier, is just a delicious little movie called Roman Holiday from 1953, directed by William Wyler, not to be confused with Billy Wilder. I was like, this guy's everywhere. Uh, Yeah, starring uh, Audrey Hepburn and Gregory Peck. Um, Apparently, both... uh, Elizabeth Taylor and Cary Grant turned down lead roles. I think it's great that they did because something about the pairing of these two is just so delightful. Um, Mm. So basically, Audrey Hepburn plays the princess of an unspecified European country who who runs away from the Italian embassy in Rome. And um, Gregory Peck is is an expat journalist who finds her sleeping on a bench and then, as you do, takes her home, because um, that's what you do when you find a stranger sleeping on a bench. And well, if you find Sonya. a beautiful <laughs> when stranger in Rome. When in Rome, <laughs> precisely. Um, and then, sort of, you know, hijinks ensue. Um, he decides, he convinces his editor that he's going to do an exclusive piece on her. She doesn't know. They have this romantic day together. Like, so much of this movie is just them, like, driving around on Vespas and, like, having a lovely time and honestly I'm so here for it but I Audrey Hepburn you guys you know that I like Sean love my actresses you know like give me a woman giving an amazing performance and I will be so happy Audrey Hepburn is one of those people who you're just like there is something that she has like just this like luminosity that yeah. Is so watchable and so amazing. And I don't really know where that comes from, but anyway, it's just a lovely, lovely little movie. Yeah, she's so just like dancerly or something. It's just like mm. even just the way she mm-hmm. stands, you're like, this is gorge. 
Um, well, and what I wouldn't give to have a transatlantic accent, you guys. Oh, my kingdom <laughs> for a transatlantic accent. <laughs> Precisely. Um, okay. I'm going to talk about a film from 1953 called Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, mm. starring Jane Russell and Marilyn Monroe. I've never seen this before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know why. It just hasn't been. I've seen the clips, obviously. Um, so Marilyn Monroe plays Lorelai, who is like an unabashed gold digger. And I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and then Jane Russell plays Dorothy, who is her friend. And she's only attracted to looks, does not care about the money. And it creates two very Jack Spratt and his wife couple, these two. Um <laughs> And so then a private detective is hired by Marilyn's nerdy, rich boyfriend's dad Mm. uh, to see if he can get any juice on her because he thinks that she's no good. Um, And then that private detective goes on a cruise with them. He falls in love with Jane Russell. um, Schemes and charlatan afoot. There's so many schemey sequences. um, Like... Uh, what what is like stealing Malone's pants because they think he's got the footage of something in his pants pocket. So they're like <laughs> trying to do this whole facade of like stealing his pants. Um, Marilyn trying to squeeze her like bodacious body out of a porthole to escape a hotel, <laughs> a, like a, a, like a room. It's like, it's so great. And then ov- obviously ends in the very iconic song and dance number, gentlemen prefer blondes, mm-hmm. which Marilyn actually kills. Um, I was like, honestly thought that she was so good in this because I, you know, you only ever really hear about Marilyn's like difficulties on set, which we'll probably get to later when we talk about some like it hot, but Mm. I thought she was like luminous, hilarious, very good singer, very good. Like she performed just as well as Jane Russell, I've thought. Um, and yeah, it was just a really fun little movie that I've not seen before. I think I've talked about this on on the show before, but I think that one of our great crimes as a society is the legacy that has lasted about Marilyn Monroe. Like, the fact that she she wanted so badly to be, you know, a real actor, a a true actor, and, you know, like, that she was a writer and a poet, and that she was just this whole person that, like, just never gets represented, I feel like. And you see her in performances like that one, and she is, like, she's just so amazing. And only a really great actor could do a lot of the things she does, but she just gets reduced down to, oh, she's a sex symbol, she was so beautiful, the voice, she slept with Kennedy. Like, ah, She it does just so makes many good so comedy moments. She has, like, this thing where she, like, moves heaven and earth to get this, like, she looks at the passenger list and sees a eligible bachelor and a porter like on the, the on the boat so she like smooths does all this finagling to get them to sit at her table and then when she sees it's actually like a 10 year old boy um like and she her face is like <gasps> it's like she just is really very funny mm. so funny although there's a part when jane russell impersonates her at the end and does her voice and very sort of sexy shtick which i was like very weird to do that i don't know mm. i guess it is like we could have done without that i maybe maybe i could have <laughs> i don't know it, it did feel like that was what she was doing was Marilyn's, um what people thought of Marilyn outside of the movie and not necessarily mm. what she mm. was in the movie yeah but, that's interesting 
I was like, this is not really how she's been like, acting this entire film, but it's what people's impersonations of Marilyn have always been. Right. Kind of her, so, like, public persona. Yeah, like, just, yeah. like, breathy, and then, like, oh, my clothes fall off, and I'm doing, like, a little number or something. Anyway. Yeah. Small quibble, I guess. It was it was still great. Mm, it's okay. Um, okay. Uh, do you guys want to talk about Some Like It Hot? Have all of you seen it? Yes. Uh, not for a long time. Yes. Me either for a long time. It was my one of my grandmother's favorite movies. So I watched it a ton when I was a kid. Maybe inappropriately. But mm-hmm. from, my, from my memory, so this is another Billy Wilder directed film starring Marilyn Monroe, starring Jack Lemmon from who we talked about last week from The Apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I... It is my belief it's one of the funniest films of all time. Yeah. 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 Um, anyway, if you don't know it, it is about two band members who are down on their luck. They witness a mob shooting. They have to hide in the only way they can, which is in a all-female jazz orchestra. <laughs> and, and then... As you once, do. As you do. And one starts falling in love with Sugar Kane, who is Marilyn Monroe, who is the leader of the band, or the lead singer of the band. Um, Jack Lemon is being pursued by Osgood, who is a very rich, sort of daffy, uh, rich Havwit son. And, um, and then the mob is obviously still coming for them. And yeah, it's just like wild, madcap, really fun. Like not a dull moment from what I remember. And also, I don't even remember it being as misogynist as it could have been. Yeah. Like, I feel like they gave... I feel like they gave each of these women that they played like actual personality and not just like, you know, a strange like bunch of like jokes, weird jokes. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just yeah. like transphobic from top to bottom. Like, look how disgusting and hilarious that these men are dressed as women. Like there's a bit of that, but um, part of one of the themes is also them sort of like realizing what it's like to be a woman and sort of, yeah. like, reflecting on some of their own behavior. But then a lot of it is just, like, so much of the comedy, too, just comes from, like, you know, we have this this caper and we're, we can't be found out. Like, it's not necessarily all about men dressing as women is funny. Mm-hmm. Because also they, yeah, and- they look beautiful, except actually yeah. the, the... It is filmed in black and white, which is not the norm at the time in the fifties, but it's Mm. apparently because the makeup was very ghoulish. And so they had to temper (laughs) it down by putting it in black and white. Well, drag queens, you got to paint for the back row, you know? Yeah. Back row uh, of the movie theater. That's, that's, that's a horrifying notion. (laughs) I think this is probably like, there's just something really incredible about the three of them interacting. And it might be Tony Curtis's best work. Mm. Like it, I I'm it, I don't think it's Jack Lemmon's best work. It might not, I don't I don't well, know how I feel. Tony like Curtis's but, like um, Cary Grant impression when he's pretending to be a billionaire is so funny. Yeah, yeah. Tony Curtis and, is so handsome, and yeah, doing that dual yeah. role is like so good. And it does just seem like a thing where they're like really like got the most talent that they could, mm. and maybe did some work to like made sure that like oh like 
these three are the core of the whole thing. It has to work. And then they just sort of nailed it. Uh, um, and I was reading that. Yeah. So the it's kind of a a tricky situation in terms of content, especially at the time. But I mm. read that this film is considered one of the last nails in the coffin of the Hayes Code, which is yeah. mm-hmm. um, basically like decency on screen, like how to uh, to check that things are being proper and that people were really into the this sort of cross-dressing homosexual vibes that they were, that was happening. <clears throat> and they mm-hmm. were like, there is a kiss between Tony Curtis and Marilyn Monroe while dressed as uh, his female character that I'm sure the Hayes Code was not pleased with, but... One also at the end when um, oh my God, Jack Lemmon yeah. goes, I'm a man! And then Osgood mm-hmm. says, like, so what? That's like the, nobody's perfect. Nobody's the best, perfect, yeah. I think it's the best line. And he's like, well, nobody's perfect. Like, the best, <laughs> the best ending of any film. Uh, For God's sake, I'm a man. It's... <laughs> But it does turn the whole thing into like, did he just know and not mm. care? Like, you know, is it you know, like, oh, I'm into this. Like, I don't care what's going on. I'm just. This is what I get from Osgood's know. vibe. Is he's like, I am into what is whatever is happening. Yes. Bisexuals, we're just superior. What can I say? Yeah. Here it is. <laughs> <laughs> but Marilyn is also so good in this too, and and this one she is kind of doing that shtick. Um, like, oh, it just coitles me. By you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Playing her little like, ukulele. It is. But then also I feel like it's kind of meta because there's this element of, like, that that is a bit of a performance that, like, Tony Curtis kind of learns about. Anyway, but again, just, like, she's enchanting. It's, it's also countered by all of the <laughs> other women in the orchestra who are, like, yeah. so brash and ridiculous and just, like, making... Manhattan's in the bunk room and <laughs> and yeah. just like like just loud and fun and just like the gals that you actually want to hang out with. Um but yeah, this this is the film where I believe the most mythology is about Marilyn at her probably most mentally unstable. Like mm. they would make bets about how many takes it would take for her to do a take. Usually between <clears throat> 40 to 50. Um Yeah. But she had a lot going on. <laughs> well, exactly. And I mean, it's like the work environment obviously was not mm-hmm. healthy if that's how her issues are being addressed. Like, I mean, the movie, the, the men of the movie industry and her, her, the many men in her life, like basically have her blood on, on their hands as far as I'm concerned. So it's sort of that thing of like. It's interesting how the mythology becomes about that difficult performer and not like, huh, maybe this industry is toxic for people who are struggling. Yeah. Maybe maybe betting on how well someone performs at work is not a good way to encourage that individual to do good work. Yeah. When just handing them pills. Yeah. Um, there's a there's a very good series from the podcast You Must Remember This about mm. it's just the ten episodes called um, dead blondes or something and it's just yeah. sort of each episode is about the pile of dead blonde actresses that have like paved the road to Hollywood and it's really good but really depressing um, yeah anyway uh, on that note any more <laughs> ni- fun frolicky 1950s films you guys have seen this week or want to talk about uh, I've, 
I've I've got a really fun one. It's really uplifting. It's all the yeah. it's all the things oh, no. you, you're expecting. Yeah, Sean. cool. Yeah, uh, it is. Uh, it is my favorite Hitchcock, which is Rear Window. Mm. Um, I like the 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 way the tension is held and released in this is just incredible. And uh, again, as a film nerd, I love the like like very harsh entry into voyeurism, mm. and like you know, like uh, the, the, this is where people are like literally like trying to lean up in the theater to see more of a building because of what's going on. And then, of course, you just have James Stewart and Grace Kelly, like, knocking it out of the park completely. And uh, it's just super great, super amazing, and very beautifully done. And uh, it's like, it's just that film look. Like, if everyone's like, oh, what's better about film? I'll just say, go look at anything from Rear Window. Mm. And that's it. So Yeah, I haven't seen that in so long, but I do remember it looking gorgeous. Yeah. As well as just like the story, the tight storytelling and acting and everything. Mm-hmm. Was the yeah. was that movie from the two oh. thousands with Shia LaBeouf? Was it also called Rear Window, or was it called something else? No, because it was, it was like an Lyle. adaptation of this, wasn't it? Su- suburbia, Disturbia, maybe. Dis- suburbia. Oh man, it? I'm looking it up. Stand by. I don't think I've ever. Uh, this doesn't. Know. Nope, no, that's not it. Shia LaBeouf, it one of the classic icy blondes that Hitchcock likes to cast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's Disturbia. Yeah, you're right, Sean. Disturbia. And yeah, I don't know why. It's, anyway. I've never seen it. It was bad. It was from bad. what I remember. <laughs> I believe it was bad. I don't know why I felt the need to bring that up in this moment, but it just the thought entered my head, and then I said the words. You well, you bring up Shia LaBeouf in this our 1950s episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, I think he recently was some information came out about him. <laughs> I should oh, no. follow up on that before I make Ugh. jokes about it. But... We're we're currently getting information wired in. <laughs> beep, beep 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 beep. Um, News alert: You can't trust men in Hollywood. Oh, well, God. with that, with that <laughs> sign off. <laughs> I'd like to thank Saskatoon's The Garys for letting us use their song Manitouna for our theme song. Thanks to everyone at CJTR and all of you for lending us your ears. The show is broadcast Wednesdays at 6, Thursdays at noon, and is available as a podcast on the CJTR website, Spotify, and Apple Play. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, so give us a follow. And I want you to have a good night, please. Please? Please, we implore you. Please. (laughs) We implore. Okay, bye. Bye. See ya.